Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, a product of Talent 409. I am your host, Colin Cernelia. Thank you for joining us today. Go to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Radio.com, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. Please consider taking a minute in on Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and review. Doing this helps other dynamic leaders find us, and it helps us find other dynamic leaders. Okay, on to our first guest for 2020. I had the opportunity to talk with Will Baggett. Will is in operations for the college football playoff, which we are obviously in the midst of right now. He is also the co-author of The Blueprint for a Successful Career, a foundation for developing young professionals. His executive image workshop took off in 2019. We chat about that. We chat a lot about building a platform on social media, in addition to how you can prepare for a career in the business world. This is another excellent conversation. I'm so glad that I'm able to launch 2020's podcast season with Will. So let's not waste any more time and let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Will Baggett. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today on the line, I have Will Baggett with me. Will, thank you so much for joining the show. Hey, Colin. Hey, good morning, man. It's uh, great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad you're looking excited or you're looking forward to having the conversation. I'm definitely excited and looking forward to it as well. But before we get too far away, I do want to give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? Who am I? Who am I? I don't know. Um, it's it's kind of like, uh, like Michelle Obama, you know, it's still coming, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but my name is Will Baggett. I'm born and raised in Greater Mississippi. I'm actually home for the holidays now, so glad to be back uh, home and uh, hanging with the family. But a uh, long story short, man, I'm a servant, man. I, uh, I went to Ole Miss undergrad studies and then on Baylor University to get my master's degree in sport management. Uh, after that, I went to Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl to get an internship experience in football and event operations in uh, IMG college licensing. And now at the college football playoff national championship. So we're having to think of getting ready for the national championship game in January, so that's a lot of fun. But outside of that, I mean, I just think I have just the best job or, or roles ever in that uh, I lead a small organization called Emerging Executives, where we are known for our executive image workshop, where we teach young professionals how to look the part, act the part, and become the part based on our premises, uh, our premise of the ABCs, which is appearance, behavior, communication skills, digital etiquette and emotional intelligence. And I'm also the author of the Blueprint for Successful Career. It was released in 2016. So it's just a, it's a happy marriage, man. I just think everything is just vertically aligned and that and I believe in creating experiences and helping people, And whether it's through college football, whether it's through presenting, through workshops, whether it's through providing information I've learned in my career. I think everything is you know ties back to those core values of what I'm all about. And uh, just the fun part. So I'm um, having a great time, man. And that's who I am, man. I'm a fun-loving servant. And uh, yeah, it's, it's still becoming, still growing. 
That's an awesome background, obviously super diverse. And I love the fact that you say you're, you're still growing, you're still becoming, right? Just like you said, Michelle Obama, like that's a, a really good way to connect it all. And I love when, especially people who are in leadership type positions and you're giving workshops and speaking to other folks that are looking for inspiration, looking for guidance. And I think the number one thing for leaders to remember is that you're never done learning. You can always learn something new. And that is something that you should be able to verbalize and teach other people who are looking to lead because you do see the leaders out there who, when they get to the top of their profession, they think they know it all and they don't need to learn the new trends. And and this world changes so fast. So it's really great to hear you say that we're going to spend a ton of time on the executive image workshop and on your book. So we're going to get to that in a little while. I definitely want to spend a good chunk of time talking about that. But first you mentioned you're in the college football playoff, you're in operations for that company. And I'm curious, so we talked a little bit offline, so I don't want to ruin it, but you played sports growing up, but you stopped in the high school stage of life. How did you end up wanting to work in sports? Because you are doing something that is super cool and super fun from an outside perspective. And one of the best things that I think this podcast can do for people who are interested in working in sports is introduce them to other opportunities outside of being an anchor for ESPN and Sports Center. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, so I'm what you call a high school has been, as you mentioned, as you alluded to. Uh, I played basketball for for a good amount of time coming up in recreation, and also throughout high school, like like you said. And the weird thing is, I never once played any sort of organized football. I played a little flag. Sometimes we have flags. We use socks. I mean, you just you just you just never know what you get out there with us. But I didn't watch my first college football game until I was a freshman in college. So I just didn't grow up in a, in a football family. I just just didn't. And so my first year in college, I went to, I think, the Mississippi State versus Auburn game. I actually went to Mississippi State my freshman year before I transferred to Ole Miss. And the final score was 3-2. to two. Auburn won. And I just I just sat there. I was like, I just sat here four hours for a soccer score. <laughs> and it's way less exciting than soccer. And I, I vowed I would never go to another college football game again. And lo and behold, now I'm part of the team that organizes the biggest one in the country at the college level. Uh, so yeah, that was, it's kind of the experience uh, from that standpoint, but I do think there are a lot of different opportunities out there in sports and we get enamored by the kind of glisten glamour of the ESPN anchors and athletic directors, commissioners. And one thing I, I think is very important to remember or recall is uh, when we look at these people in these positions, you have to understand they pay their dues. I mean, it, it seems as though they got there pretty quick or they're, you can do the job better than they can. But I think what the issue is, not the issue, but the challenge is we have so much information coming at us now. We know what everyone's doing. We know what everyone's making. We know what everyone's putting into place, all their campaigns and policies and, and different initiatives and things. And it's just so much information coming at us so fast that it puts us in a rush, right? And so I think it's a, it's a definite hunger and it's a needed hunger for young professionals, but also just understanding that, you know, dudes are hard to be paid and need to be paid because sometimes you just don't know what you, what you don't know. And uh, like I said, I haven't worked in uh, a, a plethora of different industries, but primarily operations and events is kind of where I kind of I kind of made my made my made my staple. I've also spent time as a coach. I was a strength and conditioning coach for about four and four and a half years at Ole Miss and Baylor University, and then spent time in revenue generation. So what I would encourage is it's kind of like when you have the opening break if you're if you're familiar with playing. Uh, shooting pool or billiards when you have the opening break and you knock in a solid ball and a strike ball 
you're not going to choose which one you're going to pick unless you serve at the table and say, okay, what I, what's my, what's my path of least resistance? And the more experiences you got, the more surveying you do, the more volunteering you do, then the better wealth knowledge you'll have both from an experiential standpoint and also from a leadership standpoint, because you're going to meet different people, different leadership styles. So people are going to make you feel like, man, I want to be like this person. How they made me feel. Well, other folks are like, yeah, I better make sure I don't turn to that person or that guy or that gal. <laughs> so I think it's very important to just get that, that experience. And that's what I think led to any success by any measure, if anyone would call it that, is the fact that I volunteered my behind off from working at football camps, picking up trash to to selling concessions to selling programs. I used to be an Uber driver. I used to run my place out on Airbnb. This is not sports related, but you learn you learn different skills, customer service, emotional intelligence, things like that. So I just really encourage people. You, you have to get out there. And that's why I tried everything I literally could. And that's what I think has made me able to relate in my executive image workshops because I've been in their seats and I'm not too good to go to switch seats with them. Absolutely. I love that. And I love how you're you have the humility to be able to talk about being an Uber driver and doing all these different odds and ends jobs, picking up trash, things that a lot of us, and I don't know if it's a generational thing or if it's just a, a human thing in general, but a lot of us just don't see ourselves doing that type of work. Like we just see it as below what we're brought here on earth to do, but you can certainly learn a lot from getting in the weeds like that and getting in the trenches and doing that type of quote unquote, dirty work, if you will. So in the scope of your organization, to break this down a little bit more, can you talk to listeners about what different types of roles there are that you could get involved in just from a purely practical standpoint, just to show them there are various different roles within this organization. And this is just one organization in the sports industry. Can you give us a little inside glimpse into what the various different types of roles are? Yes, absolutely. So I'll, I'll kind of look at it from, from where I sit. We have a number of different vendors we work with, even even in my, in my role. So I already mentioned kind of the, the agency experience you could have with IMG. Even within IMG, they have so many different branches. Well, I'm sorry, IMG is now on my Learfield, excuse me, but they have the you have the sports sponsorship side of it where you could be working for Learfield slash IMG and actually be on a campus and selling sponsorships on their behalf. You can be obviously be in events and operations and those jobs are Opportunities are a dime a dozen anywhere you go. There's also opportunities on the legal side and compliance side. And obviously, athletic departments have a number of different different roles, whether it's marketing, compliance, student-athlete development, business development, or business office, rather, fundraising. Um, even within our shop, and we have our marketing strategic partnerships, we have, just have a lot of different areas. So it just all depends on, on what, you, what you want to do. But I think at the core, everyone has to – you need to be able to sell. You, know, you sell your, whether you're selling yourself or you're selling your product, selling the experience, you need to be able to, to market. And, and if I could go back in time, I would go back and learn more about marketing, Photoshop, video editing, things of that sort. That's what I would do if I could go back in time. It just wasn't as prominent as it is now, but even more now, like even when I was working in the football operations side of it, Photoshop and all those different things wasn't as big. And now that's, that's, that's a whole arm of their recruiting that they have to have in order to entice different recruits and pull together graphics and statistics and images to really grab the attention of your 18 to 22 year olds. So it's just, just it's just so many different ways. I don't have a, a list here uh, in front of me, but um, it's just, there's so many, and you work with sports commissions. You can work with, for instance, we work with 
host committees when we go to, to different cities. Uh, even the vendors we have that do everything from signage and branding and marketing. There's just so many different ways. But ultimately, it comes down, I think, to about six or seven different buckets. And then it just branches out and it just spouts out from there into thousands of different opportunities. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry if I can't like go into like every single, every single role. Sure, sure. There's just uh, there's just so many, but I just think that's where the opportunity to volunteer comes into play. And I've, I've done everything. Like I'm not on the media side, but I've run stats before. You know, I figure out what that looks like, and I learned about press box etiquette and things things of like that. And also the ability to write. I'm a, I'm a writer by trade. That just happens to present. But my first my first and foremost. I guess skill set is is writing, and I I turned into a speaker, but I learned how to write first, and I think that's becoming a lost art in in some cases. But if you look around the landscape, I'm seeing a lot of people that have SID backgrounds, communications backgrounds. They are they're rising to positions of leadership. Even our executive director, uh, Bill Hancock, is a former SID. So that just goes to show you that ability to write, no matter no matter what level work organization you're in, the ability to communicate is always going to be paramount. So you can do that both in written form and verbal form, then I don't think anything can stop you from sending. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely want to echo that because I had a lawyer on a few episodes ago and she talked about in her industry how important communicating is and the ways that you can advance or also the ways that you can just make an impact. And I think that communication pretty much across the board these days, if you can do it really well, you're going to put yourself above and beyond a lot of people because it's so easy to put content out there that a lot of people are just being lazy and they're not putting the effort in to write the great book or to have the great speech or to even just put a basic Instagram post up that's coherent and competent. That's right. <laughs> so uh, I, I love that. And one of the really interesting aspects that you mentioned that I want to touch on before we get too far away is the marketing piece. And I feel like I share that feeling with you that I wish I had known a little bit more about marketing growing up or I had taken more classes and just understood a little bit more because it's been a catch up game for me, not only as a business owner, but just in terms of being able to keep up with it's the way of the world, like you said. So when we're talking about marketing specific, if there's somebody that's listening, maybe they're in college or maybe they're at that point in their career where they know they need to take up their marketing game a little bit, but they're not sure where to start. Are there a few areas like specifically that you would say, Hey, this is where maybe you need to start focusing your marketing efforts and then you can build on from there. Like, do you have foundational pillars that you build off of? Yeah. I, I like, again, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a marketing major, so I don't want to speak. <laughs> oh, I know a whole lot about it. Uh, I, I, my, my, my business was essentially built on Twitter. So I know a few things about it or just by my experience but I don't necessarily have the textbook tactics to, to give out, but I'll just share some things that work for me personally. And hopefully that can inspire and influence someone to do it in their own way that may have more of a tactical knowledge or maybe more deeply and better immersed in the space than I am. But yeah, from a marketing standpoint, man, I believe the first and foremost thing that may have made me effective in marketing, if I am by any measure, would be my psychology background. So I have a minor psychology. And if you understand how people think, you understand behavior, and that translates to consumer behavior because people are consumers. You know, we're all producing and consuming something. So my, my psychology background, I use that. And then I, once I learn the different channels by which people communicate and market and where your audience target audiences are, that's where I believe that it all kind of came together for me. So formerly, I wrote for Front Office Sports as a, as a contributor. And my good friend, Adam White, CEO of that organization. And I just started out and I followed them for three and a half years. 
and I watched how they did posts. I watched when they posted. I watched how they did their, their shortened links. I watched how they use graphics, infographics, how they use the different stickers and how they use Instagram. I mean, I just watched them like a hawk for about three years. And then I learned that I say, okay, now I'm building a niche because I put out free content. It's well-written, it's buttoned up, it's intentional, it's people-focused. And over time, I began to you know, develop my own brand and developing an own, my own kind of stable, uh, stable of people that were interested in things that I was talking about. And for, for people that want to market anything or write anything, the, the thing you have to figure out first and foremost is your target audience. Where are they living? Where are they communicating? And I would say that I have the best of both worlds in that I'm in the collegiate space. So I work with a lot of collegiate athletes. Right. So that that kind of fits organically. Right. So I'm not a marketing guru. I just knew what my target audience was and I'm already kind of embedded in the industry. Right. So I think it's, a, it's one of those things you have to look at your assets, create that T-chart, your pros and your cons. OK, where are my people? What is the demographic? What is the psychographic? Because sometimes we look at demographics without thinking about psychographics and your psychographics are basically how people think. And that's why the psychology piece is so paramount to understand how people are consuming content. Because if you think about your Instagram or your Facebook or anything you're scrolling through, we're in a rush to get to the next post. Like we're scrolling fast as we can. We want to cut as much information as possible. So how do you create thumb stopping content? And the way of the way of the world is video. Video, video and audio to where if people can be engaged in that video and don't have to spend a lot of time reading because attention spans are getting a lot, a lot shorter, research has shown. So by looking at that thumb stopping videos, I heard a Facebook executive say is obviously paramount. But also, what can people people do simultaneously? For instance, listen to a podcast like you're doing now, right? You can be doing some some work at your desk right now, but also listening at the same time and be able to take bits and pieces away. So I think uh, multitasking in in the light sense is the way of the world now, but multitasking can be counterintuitive. So you have to sure. make sure there's an inverse relationship between the two because you can be doing something at a really high level and something at a really, really poor level. So I think multitasking has to be taken with a grain of salt. And making sure that you're not you're not bumping heads on the two things or two or three things you're doing at one time. So that's what I, w- I would say. I know it's probably a, kind of a lot in there. I think just understand where your people are, understand how they think, how they behave, what they want, and be considerate of their time is what's going to make you an effective marketer, no matter where you're. Yeah, absolutely. And the three things that I picked up on that I just want to highlight to wrap up this conversation is the emotional intelligence piece, understanding that the people you are connecting with are also other people. So you need to be able to relate to them, your market audience. So being able to narrow that down, it may seem a little bit scary, especially if you're starting your own business and you want to try and help as many people as possible. But if you narrow things down, experience myself, it'll be a hundred times easier for you to be able to impact the people that you want to. And then the video aspect of the marketing piece that you just walked us through and how important that is. And I think that's something that even I could personally learn a little bit from and and do a little bit better. So I love that. And I'm going to move this conversation. And I apologize in advance if it seems like I'm drilling you on a couple topics, but I just really want to pick your brain because I do think that you are an expert in a number of different categories that I have written down here that I want to understand your thought process to help other people, because I think these are questions that many people have. So We'll go through them uh, pretty strategically here. The first thing I want to talk about, so I want to stick with platform building, if you will. And you talked about Twitter being your choice of vehicle. And there are so many different ones out there. I'm not going to name them all right now. But can you tell us first why you chose Twitter 
And second, just maybe those first one or two steps towards actually building that platform where you get engagement and you become the topic expert. Sure. Sure. So one thing I talk about in our executive image workshops is the acronym LIFTS. And it simply stands for LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat. And in this day and age, you could probably put a slash with that T and add TikTok to Twitter as well. Sure. Because with, I mean, it's coming, the onslaught is amazing. But what I would say from, from that standpoint is I chose Twitter because for me, it had a lot more functionality and it, had, it was more conversational. If you think about the way Instagram and Facebook is now like archaic to a lot of people in this generation that we're working with now. So I'll kind of push that out there, but Twitter to me is more is more conversational, and they've done a lot of upgrades over in the past few months, even past few years, to make it where you can be more conversational. You can respond with gifts now and things of that sort. Sure. But for me, you're able to obviously share articles, embed articles, embed content, videos, and obviously they extended the the characters from 140 to 280, and so they've just made it so much more conversational, and it's up to the it's up to the minute too as well. Whereas on Instagram, you know, if you put a you put a link in a, in a caption, you see what happens? Absolutely nothing, right? So it's it's more there's more steps. It's if you put a link in a caption, like I said on Instagram, oh, go to the link in my bio. Then you have to click out of that, get out of the timeline, yeah. go to your bio, click on your link tree, go through that, and next thing you know, you're six steps down the road, and they're like, well, okay, where's all my timeline? Because now I'm not gonna go back <laughs> and I lost everything, right? Right. If people want to get to that timeline because they can. So with Twitter and again, some of these same things could happen. And I think a lot of people don't realize that Twitter and Instagram don't talk to one another. So when someone can, they'll put a post up on, on Instagram and they'll try to link it to their Twitter. Well, it's going to show up weird and the, the image is not going to show up on Twitter because obviously Facebook owns Twitter and they just don't talk to one another. Right. So I think it's also understanding the ownership, the structure of the platforms as well when you're, when you're doing content and understanding that different mediums call for different usages, right? So on Instagram, I could give the same kind of content, but because I was a writer, I would have to get people through those five or six steps on Instagram or to read my content. People really weren't on as Facebook as much. And when you think about live tweeting, when it comes to sports events, that's where people are. They're live tweeting about it because it's up to the moment. And live sports is the only thing that people are still watching live. I mean, you know, it sounds bigger, the montage, but it's the only thing people are still watching live. Yeah. Everything else is on Disney Plus and Google and what have you. So that's where, that's where I was able to get the most traction and most engagement. And I always respond to every single tweet. So no matter where you are, you have to respond. You have to be engaged. And it's because I genuinely really care. It's for me, marketing has never been a ploy for me. I'm just doing what I love to do. And it just happened to work out. And so that's where I think I'm, I'm most effective because I truly, truly care. I love the subject matter of professionalism, executive image, helping other people. I mean, those are my core values. So being able to do that and also talk about sports in that same context and help people get it where they want to be in their careers it's just a labor of love for me because when I came out of college, I didn't know anything. Like I didn't own a suit. I didn't even own a button down shirt when I graduated from undergrad, but it was just getting through great mentorship and then immersing myself in other people's spaces. I didn't know anything about Twitter. I hadn't written anything in seven years, but I knew some inherent talents I had and I had people that would ch- that challenged me to do it. So again, Twitter is my, is my primary vehicle, but I would, I would post the same content on Twitter in different areas. I'll just change the messaging. You know, because the reception is going to be different. The interpretation is going to be different. The audience is going to be different. Like my, my, my aunts are on Facebook. They're not, on, they're not following me on Twitter. You know? Right. <laughs> you, have to change, you have to just change up a little bit. And I think that's where when it comes to making your content calendar, and I, marketers do a great job of this, it's understanding how they're going to take that lifts model 
okay, this is going on LinkedIn, this is going to go on Facebook, this is going on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. There's different ways to say the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. And I think for someone that's looking to get, gain traction pretty quickly, maybe not so much in my space, because my space is very buttoned up with the professionalism piece, but the TikTok algorithms are made for you to go viral. So if you're if you're if you're seeking to, to go viral in some space, I think TikTok is the is the next next frontier and it's coming on very, very, very quickly. So when you are putting together a post for whatever reason, is it pretty general across the board that you're going to take that approach that you talked about where you post it one way on Twitter and then you post it another way on Facebook? Do you do that with all of your posts or do you do that with just select ones here and there? Or sometimes you just post on Twitter and not post on some of the other social social media mediums? Absolutely. Absolutely. In some cases, so uh, I started the Texas Regional Sports Summit this past summer, so I'm the, I'm the founder of that organization, and I had an outstanding team, and I'll forget some of them, but I have to I have to shout them out. Uh, but uh, uh, Cameron, Cameron Benton, Reggie Jennings, Rio Walker, Catherine Buckley, and and Victor Ribicard. So we put together this Texas Regional Sports Summit, and we were really good about our communication mediums and understanding, okay, where did we want to be? And so we would put different content in different areas. So most of my stuff is done organically, kind of up to the moment. But we do, in some cases, use our content calendars and we'll use different platforms to post. So I think in, in, most, in most times, I'll post something maybe on Twitter. And I may even wait a few days to post it on a different platform or Facebook or LinkedIn. Because you can get an onslaught of engagement from different areas if you post it all at the same time. Good point. Time, time. That's, just, that's just personal preference. Some people may go all at the same time. I don't really have a rhyme or reason to it. Uh, but I also like to, I love to make sure the message is tailor-made for that audience. And because on, on LinkedIn and, and, and my space I operate in, that's a really good you know, space for me. But the language and the, the audience is just a little bit different. So I do try to make it personal with every post. Sometimes I'll, I, don't, I, don't, I don't schedule tweets personally. I know a lot of people do, especially on the marketing side, because what I do is very personal and I'm the face of it. I'm the touch point of it. I'm the beginning and end of it. I, I don't schedule my posts. And that way I can really make sure that I'm engaged and I'm surprised like, wait, I don't remember tweeting that out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, and so again, and maybe that's a little bit beneficial on my part, but that just comes from the organic engagement, engagement piece that I like to follow personally. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Hey everyone. Christine here to talk about a sponsor of this show, my own business, Sweat With Stods. Head over to sweatwithstods.com to get the workout that suits your needs. Whether you work out at home, in the gym, or you're brand new to fitness, there's something for everyone. Podcast listeners also get a special discount with code DYNAMIC at checkout, so be sure to head on over there after this. Thanks, and back to the show. Let's talk about, let's move towards your favorite to the to the book. You love writing. You've mentioned that a couple times here. So you are a, a co-author uh, of the book, and for that just alone is really interesting to me because I know how difficult it must be to write a book in general, but to be able to write it with somebody else must be a whole different undertaking. So I'd love for you to be able, if you can tell us a little bit about what, what that writing process was like. Yeah. Well, thank you for asking. Colin. I, I, I think I'd be remiss to not go back and just briefly share the, how it all came about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so long story short, Junior year of high school, my English, my, uh, my English teacher, Ms. Charlene Leverage, she was the first one to 
see that I had a gift for writing or penchant for writing. And I really ignored it at that time. I was a junior in high school, right? And I'm from North <laughs> Mississippi. We don't write. That's, that's not something that's cool where I'm from. And my clothes I was wearing at the time were three sizes too big. But <laughs> she she was able to look through that that exterior of my environment and see what what skills I had. And so I'd be remiss to not mention her. So uh, long story short, you fast forward seven years later, I'd always loved writing. I always loved reading. I read it all the time. But I never found anything I was passionate enough to write about, right? So I never was as I in communications directly. I just like to do poetry and study literature and things of that sort. So I finally, uh, and when I got to Baylor, I was a grad assistant at the American Football Coaches Association, working with Ty Brown, who is my co-author of the Blueprint for a Successful Career and the founder of the board, board management philosophy. That's what that's embedded in the book. It was at that time that I realized, okay, I, 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 I like this professionalism stuff, and I learned so much, and I felt as if it was incumbent of me to reach back and pull the next person up and put it back in the bucket, as Todd likes to say. And I reached back out to my teacher from high school and said, hey, you're right, you know, I'm a writer, I'm going to be writing a book, and uh, you know, I want, I, I'd like to get your help with editing it once you're ready to get it published and everything. She said she was so happy, she was overjoyed. So it only took you seven years, congratulations. <laughs> uh, so... So long story short, I started, started writing the book, and at first I was kind of going to do it on my own, and I got down to a path. I got I got down to a certain point, I think maybe three months I've been working on it, and I printed out maybe like 10 to 15 pages of it, and I read it, and it was just not good. I just, just wasn't good. So I just ripped it up and threw it in the trash and said, I'm just done with this. Well, I got a call on December 15, 2014, telling me that this library, my English teacher, had passed away in a car accident. And I'm thinking to myself, man, like I really gave up, you know, on something I told her I would complete, I would finish and, and something I would, I would really just seek her help on because she's the one that first lit the fire over seven years ago. And so that really just, it's just kind of shook me for a minute. And that's when I later reached out to Tom Brown, who was back at the AFCA. I'd moved on to the Peach Bowl at this point as an intern. And I said, Hey, man, uh, I'm going to work on this, this new project. And uh, I was going to get my English teacher to help me out, but she's no longer with us. And I need your help to get it done. And I want to dedicate it to her memory. He said, say no more. And we're off and running. So that's that's the genesis of it. And I just, like, again, I wanted to appreciate you indulging me and let me share that piece of it. Because uh, I wouldn't be who I am or where I am without uh, without Mrs. Leopard. So the, the book writing process, uh, so I'm not taking too much too much time on it. It's one of those things where I had to empty my brain, first and foremost. I, I pulled out my, my iPad or even my, my notes in my phone. And I came up with about 40 different items or different things I wanted to talk about. And I just brainstormed and emptied everything. Over time, those 40 things turned into about 25. And I finally got them down to nine buckets of things I wanted to talk about. And really just delimited them and really interpreted them to, okay, what do I want these to be? What do I want the reader to, to feel? So the way I, way I write personally is I write backwards. I, I begin with the end in mind, as, as some people like to say. I write the ending first. I wrote the end of my book before I wrote the first, first sentence because I knew what I wanted the readers to take away from it, what I wanted them to be empowered or equipped with. And I knew that everything that I needed to do needed to get me to that point. If it didn't lead to that end point that I already established or, or, or drawn, drawn in the sand, then, then I had missed the mark of why I set out to do it. So the book writing process, essentially, it took a problem. We actually buckled down on it. Maybe it took about... Uh, not not so much if we just talk about just straight just straight writing, but there were times where I just didn't feel like writing. There were some days I wake up, I I write six, seven, eight pages. Some days I wouldn't touch it for two or three days. I mean, it's just some space and time because I think sometimes and even in our careers we get in a rush, right? And I was thinking I got to get this book, I got to get this book out. I'm like, who's waiting on it? 
<laughs> nobody. You know what I mean? I, I was, you know, I didn't really have a platform or anything at that point. But I read it over probably fifty, at least fifty times, to make sure there were no typos, extra spaces. I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. Um, and it, but again, I knew that you know, putting this out, this would be a product that would hopefully reach a lot of people. And these people may not have an opportunity to meet me in person, so that first impression would be with the, with this text. And so, yeah, just not to not to go into too much detail, but it was something that was rewarding, but it was also a great challenge and being able to combine your perspective with someone else. And knowing that, okay, as a young professional, I I have a perspective that can be coalesced with that of someone that's that's my elder or someone my senior, and to make for a great product. So I'm just big on collaboration, and that was the most fun part about it. But it was uh, it was it was a fun process to, to do, and and today uh, it's, it's it's due to our gracious readers. Uh, we have a 67 we have 67 five star ratings and. Knock on wood, no one's related below five stars. So either I have a really lot, of, really uh, have a great amount of friends, or a lot of aunts and uncles <laughs> that said nice things about me. So uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll leave it there. But uh, yeah, just just so gracious and so thankful. And, uh, yeah, and that's what that's what kind of went to that. It was a lot of fun. But you have to brainstorm. You have to begin with the end in mind. You have to take the pressure off yourself. If you want to do it, realize why you're doing it. And, I, and that may sound a little cliche, but um, if you don't. You don't have a firm grasp on why you're doing it. You're going to quit because it is tedious. It, it takes a lot of time. You're going to go back and read stuff you wrote. And like, man, that was awesome. You got to read back some stuff. Go back and look at some stuff you read. You wrote. And like, man, that was terrible. Who wrote that? That me. You know. <laughs> you have to be objective, and you have to have truth tellers in your life to tell you, like, hey, yeah, that's not that good. That's not going to, you know, that's not going to resonate. And that's why I think the most important thing was having people that would tell me the truth. And, uh, and this never let me slack off or not be the highest product possible. Awesome. So the book is called The Blueprint for a Successful Career, a Foundation for Developing Young Professionals. Obviously, that was an inspiring story and background into why you wrote the book and the motivation to end up finishing it. Because a lot of us, I think, We'll start something like that, a big project, and then get to that point where you got at one point where you just were going to let it go. And then something happened and you got back on it. In terms of maybe just practical challenges or things that were difficult along the way, because I think even just book writing, there's a lot of people listening probably that have ideas or maybe they want to write a book in the future. Is there one particular aspect that stands out in your mind where you went through that process and you said, Ooh, this, this is a little more difficult than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. I would say, so Ty was instrumental because I mean, Ty's is super sharp and he helped from a structuring standpoint and an editing standpoint. It's unlike any other, because we're, we're different. We're, we're wired differently. You know, we think differently. We see things differently. So I'm the, I'm the big picture creative, like, blow it up, make it bigger, make it better. Do this, do that. <laughs> and he's the, he's very creative as well. But he's a little bit more, he's, he's, he's more experienced. And he's a, he's more methodical and say, hey, let's try it this way. Let's look at this way. You thought about moving that up and moving this down. I'm like, no, blow, blow it up, you know. And But he would slow me down and, and get me to, to where it needed to be. And I'm so thankful for his contribution to it. So I would say that at that point in time, and this is just probably just ignorance, needs to be frank, frank with you. I didn't have a grasp on technology. So we spent a lot of time sending Word documents back and forth, whereas we should have been using a Google Doc. Sure. Right. But again, but again, you're talking about this was this was years ago. You know what I mean? This was essentially four or five years ago. And I know it, it was around, but it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. Right. And someone would tell me, like, you didn't use a Google Doc? You said Word Doc back and forth. That's ridiculous, <laughs> right? I agree. It's ridiculous, but I didn't know. You know what I mean? 
And so that was, those were unforeseen challenges in, in terms of, and that's why I think I, I was so fortunate to really get behind for all this force in the infancy and see how they went about doing things. And because when I couldn't afford to have a website, I used Adobe Spark page. You know, that's a free service. Put that up. I'm like, hey, it's me speaking. You know, here's my, here's my deal. You know what I mean? And so I think when you're, when you're, when you have less resources and when you're starting out, you have to get very, very creative. And that was the, probably the most fun part for me. But just as far as challenges, I think just a lot of, a lot of editing, a lot of patience and being able to humble yourself. Cause you may think you've made the best excerpt or paragraph or chapter ever, ever. And then your counterpart reads it or the person that's editing and reads it. It's like, yeah, no, we need to strike that whole, whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and so so I think I think it takes a lot of a great deal of humility. But again, if you remember why you're doing it and what the intended purpose is, then you won't take things personally. You won't take offense to it because at the, at the end of the day, we all have different ways we see things. And I, I teach perspective. I spend 20, 20 minutes, no less, on perspective when I talk about executive image because at the end of the day, he may see something differently, or she may see something differently than I do, and we may agree to disagree on some items. But if you look at it like from a Venn diagram standpoint, in that middle ground, there's a shared meaning and that we both want to be our best. We both want to have a positive impact. We both want to put out a high quality product because our names are both on this product. And I think when you when you keep that in mind, I think that's what takes away kind of the personal piece of it. And, and that's the way I'm, I'm I'm wired now. It's never it's never personal, it's always professional and always looking at, OK, what's the shared meaning? We want to do well by people. We want to produce a high quality product. We want to put on a great game. So let me choose to see how you see this. And that's, that's a choice you have to make. So I think that's the biggest growth piece that I had in that, in that process. Otherwise, it was just a matter of, of getting it done and being committed. And because I think I heard, I think Denzel Washington said it, without a commitment, you'll never start. Without consistency, you'll never finish. That's one of the, the biggest keys, uh, big, take, big takeaways I had. It's, it's all mindset, man. It's, uh, man. I think people like, oh, I'll write a book. And they just think it's some big grandiose project. Like, no, just like, just... <laughs> Look at all your text messages you've written. You already written a book. You know what I mean? It just has to be focused. It has to be focused. You have to do your research. And the publishing process was easy due to tough relationships. But yeah, it's just you have to make those big audacious goals and break them down into, into small, small steps. Uh, and and that's what and that's what it came down to: a, a simple plan with a dedicated purpose and organized effort. Awesome. I have a couple more platform related questions. So you mentioned, and I had also seen this because I took a peek before the recording today that you have 67 reviews on Amazon and all 67 of them are five-star reviews. And I was even reading through a few of them and just glowing reviews of the book. What do you think attributes to that like where where do you think is it is it family members is it actual people that that you don't know like how do you how do you build a platform that you can get 67 because i'm just going to be frank i go i look at a lot of book reviews from whether they're traditionally published authors or self-published authors and maybe there's like three or four reviews or there's a dozen but they're not all five star but for you to have 67 your first 67 knock on wood, hopefully going to keep going up from there, all five-star reviews. Like there's something to be said about the platform that you've been able to to build. So how did you get those people maybe that you engage with on Twitter, for example, how do you get them over to a place like Amazon to buy your book and to write? Because a lot of them are ver- verified purchases too, which is another thing. So can you talk to us a little bit about that process? Yeah, see, you just did my job for me. So I don't have to, like, you all qualify and everything. They're real people, not bots or, or aunts and uncles that I've paid. Um, yeah, man, uh, I think I think the, the biggest thing was the authenticity. 
things. If anyone knows anything about me, is that I am very authentic and very intentional in what I do. So when you, you when you deposit into other people, when you deposit into their lives, their careers, when you seek to help people without any reciprocation, then you, you make those deposits. When, when you ask for something, it's pretty easy for people to come over and do things, you know, for you. Um, for me, honestly, it's also never been about any any status or having a following or a brand. I mean, I'm from nowhere, Mississippi, right? I mean, I just wanted to, to help people. And I think when people kind of saw that shine through, it just it just made it um, just kind of a thing like, hey, hey, yeah, I do it because they know that I do anything, you know, work for them as well. But I think it's one of those things where, like, uh, I probably don't do the greatest from a marketing standpoint because all my stuff is very organic. I don't have a fancy website or bunch of you know fancy marketing materials and that could be a miss on my part and, and i'm and i'm you know i'm man enough to just to, to admit that but i think what has kept it kept it very grounded is the fact that hey i'm still here still approachable you can call me text me tweet me i'm always going to respond you know and that's one thing i could say and, and even from the standpoint of getting away from the digital piece of it but i probably have no less than 200 handwritten thank you notes in my desk drawer right now and I can I can stand here and tell you to your face, or these airwaves rather, that I've responded to all 200 of them in writing. And I think when you take the time to do that, and the people, the things that people don't want to do, that that goes back to how I was trained. And so it's just it's just an ask, man. I know I'm not giving anything that's like you know, hey, yeah, do this and do that. But it just it just comes down to do you are you really about the people? Are you really about developing others? Are you really about something that's bigger than you? Bigger than you? And people can tell. People can spot fakes. I mean, content is everywhere now, and everyone's trying to sell something. Everybody's trying to build something. And people are very aware, very, uh, very skeptical of people now. I mean, it used to be, and there's this thing called confirmation bias as well. Basically, when you see someone on screen or online or what have you, you're going to form an impression about them just by the nature of what you see without having connected with them in person. So I'm very intentional about, okay, what do people see from me when they first, like they see some kind of, you know, big, grandiose guy, which I'm five seven, so I can't be that big, right? <laughs> Somebody that's un- un- unapproachable. But see someone that's like this grounded, that kind of respond to you, that's going to spend time with you. I'll get on the phone with you, whatever you want to do. I'll come, I'll come talk to you first. I'll meet you for lunch, and uh, that's what I think has gotten people to be willing to do that. Because I, when I say this, I say I'll say this, and I'll kind of close with this part of it. So you think about a platform, right? Let's say a platform is elevated, but you can't have a platform without pillars or support. And the people that you work with, work for, that you serve, those are the people that, that uphold that platform and keep it stable and keep it level. So, you know, in one of my favorite quotes, if, if I stood on, the, I've seen further than other people than by standing on the shoulders of giants. And so I'm appreciative of the people that have let me stand on their shoulders and also for those that uh, who are standing, who are standing on mine and vice versa. That's just the way it works. So it's authenticity and just truly caring and, and not being afraid to ask is, uh, as I believe, all the key components to that. And the point that I want to highlight and make sure that it's clear for the listeners is that in general, you give more than you take. Absolutely. So the result of the 67, it's not so much the number of reviews or the quality of the reviews. Obviously, that part is great, but that came as a result of you giving. Like You didn't just one day put up a book and ask 67 people out of the blue to give you that, that would never work. You could never do that. So 
over the course of your career and just over the course of your life too, you have been the type of person you mentioned, just very in tune with other humans. You understand that we all have the same desires and wants in life. We all want to be treated pretty similarly to one another. And that I think has allowed you to be able to build your platform just as much as anything else, whether it's the marketing piece or anything technical, it's just the emotional intelligence piece is really what's allowed you to shine through is what I'm picking up on. I hope so, man. It's, um, that's, my father always told me that my grandmother was, was rich growing up. And I never understood that. I'd go to her home and my grandmother didn't even have a car. I was like, hey, why is she rich? You know, man? Like, you didn't have much. Again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a kid at this point. And then my, my dad explained it to me when I came of age. He said, have you ever seen your grandmother want for anything? Have you ever seen her, have you ever seen her go without? I said, no. He said, that's because she's rich in relationships. You remember the people from the church that would come by and bring her women's products and bring her food and groceries without her ever having to ask or leave her living room. Yeah, I remember that. I said, your grandmother was rich. That's, 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 what, that's how I was raised. Like I said, I'm country boy, Mississippi, but I've learned how to translate that into this kind of professional side of it without, while, while not compromising where I come from or my roots. And that's just what I really want to put out there. I spend so much time in executive image talking about how it's what you, it's, it's who you are within that's going to reflect you know, the professional that you're going to ultimately become. If you're not right with it on the inside, it's, it's going to, it's going to come out at some point. It may not be immediate, but it's going to come out. People are going to see through that. So that's what I, I, I can't be a hypocrite because I can't talk about executive image and I'm acting or doing a certain, certain thing over here. It's not something I do for an hour or, or so. It's something I exude on a daily basis. So I have to match the, the product and match the brand in order for people to, to take um, interest in. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm not going to ask you about the platform building for your speaking business, but I know that it's associated obviously with everything that we talked about and offline before we had talked. And I think you said back in 2017 ish, you had two speaking engagements in this past year. You're up to about 35 or so, which is an awesome jump and something really to just again, take away from this whole platform portion of the conversation. But what I'd like to learn a little bit more is if you could give us a scope into how you run those workshops in relation to the book, because I know there definitely is some correlation, but if you were trying to pitch me, I guess, on taking the course, like what you would tell prospective interest, uh, someone who's interested in it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yeah, there's definitely definite overlap, but they are mutually independent of one another. So one doesn't depend, they can build off one another, but you don't necessarily have to have them. But yeah, with the executive image, just kind of reiterating, you know, we're, we're about the ABCs, your appearance, behavior, communication skills, digital etiquette, and emotional intelligence. And that's what we follow throughout. So we're going to start off talking about, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to start off with that one thing, that, that seven to seven seconds. The first seven seconds is how you form a first impression with someone. It's four to seven seconds is what the research says, but that's going to be, that's going to be the time where you have to make your, put your best foot forward. And you have to understand that we all see life through a different lens. So they're going to have a perception of you and you have a perception of yourself. How do you get those things up level? How do you get them to equal up? So we're going to spend a lot of time on perspective and, and perception. Also going into the colors that you wear. So you think about your whites and your blues. Like blues build trust. Oranges are more kind of call to action. It's like I can't do executive image in a, in a red suit. I'm like <laughs> a game show host. You know what I mean? And so just making sure, making sure that your attire matches, matches your setting well. Uh, talking about how you can present business cards effectively. Also, you're, the way you stand. So you're having one-on-one conversations, hands in pockets, arms folded, hands behind your back. 
handshakes, different jet. We, we talk about all those different things. And then one of the things we really, uh, really focus on is the ability to speak fluently. So we all use words at some point in time. Your eyes are like, you know, we're all, we all do it. And I do it as well. I'm not a robot, right? <laughs> but when the lights are on, when I'm speaking in front of an audience, I've, I've trained myself to eradicate them, right? It's kind of the way you practice is the way that you'll play. So I practice in in-person conversations. Like when I say it in this, conference, in this conversation we're having, I'm aware of it. I used to feel over there, right? And it doesn't be better on that. But we, we bring people up to let them talk about something they're passionate about and train them to use their speech fluidly and communicate effectively, excuse me, without using filler words. <clears throat> and that comes down to being able to pause, gather your thoughts, and resume conversation. And you kind of have that Mufasa kind of effect, you know, that's really <laughs> emphatic and profound, you know. And so we make it fun and interesting, man. And that's what that's what I really like about it is that it's not, it's not stiff. It's very engaging. We're getting people out of their seats, and we talk about the emotional intelligence piece and one of my favorite aspects of it is we have a test called Reading the Mind and the Eyes Test. And it's six images that we pick from. We have six descriptors. And your job is to match the six descriptors with the six images and see what you can come up with. And oftentimes we'll have six, seven, eight, nine different perspectives. And one of the and there is a set of right answers. I say right answers in quotation marks, but it's very subjective. And so that lets you know that even within the room you're sitting in, it could be a room of 10, 15, it could be a room of 150, like I've, I've had in, in the past. But understanding that people say things differently from you, it doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means they have a different perspective. So that whole piece of seeking first to understand, then be understood. And I think if you, that applies to everything. It's personal, which professional. And the last thing we close out with is we talk about meeting room etiquette. One of my favorite graphics is, why am I talking? It's the weight graph. Why am I talking? And we go through a series of different steps and say, okay, have an on-topic contribution. Has this contribution been made already? Yeah. Then why am I talking? Right. You just have to under, you have to go through those certain steps and, and understand that it, when you when you speak, you have to have something of substance to say. You, we all know people that speak just for the sake of liking to hear themselves talk. So when you have when you have something to say, have something to say, so to speak. And we close out the case study of the 1960 presidential debate between JFK and Richard Nixon, in which we just look at five images and I ask. The audience say, who reflected the executive image? No content, no words, no audio, no video, stills, just straight stills. And overwhelmingly, it's always 5-0 JFK over Richard Nixon based on the aspects we've discussed and unpacked. And the, the, the interesting thing is people that watched it on TV said JFK won that debate, while some people that listened on the radio said Richard Nixon won that debate. But JFK went on to obviously win the presidency based on him reflecting the executive image of commander-in-chief. So you see this going all the way back to the 60s, where we didn't have the Twitters and the TikToks of the world, but the perception piece has remained unchanged. It's just the apparatus by which we consume and make our judgments or our, have our notions about how people are and how they interact and how they come across in authenticity. The apparatus has changed, but the human mind has not changed, only what you put into it and how you consume it. Yeah, I love that story with JFK. I th- I, if you haven't noticed, right behind me yeah. here is JFK hanging out with us. So definitely, <laughs> for the people that can't see, obviously, you're listening to this. I have a JFK fat head behind me. He's always in here in the conversations with my guests for the podcast. But very familiar with that story. And I think that really illustrates 
pun intended, I guess, that you need to the appearance the appearance of yourself is just as important as the content and the things that you say. And uh, that's one of the best examples that I could think of. And I think that's awesome that you use it in your workshops. Well, if there is people that want to learn more information about these, learn more about your book or find your book, is there, do you mind me putting that information in the show notes? And is there, in addition to that, a way that if they want to get in touch with you, some way that's easiest for them to reach out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm the easiest person to find in the world. Like, if you can't find me, you're not trying. I'm, <laughs> I, I respond to anything you can think of. But yeah, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram at, at W underscore bags, B-A-G-G-S. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn as Will Baggett. My website is www.execimage.execimage.org. And my email address is will at execimage.org. So yeah, if you, if you just you type in my name, you able to find me. We can, we can have a conversation. We can meet up and you name it. I just love connecting with new people and I love expanding my horizons. I want to learn what you, how you see things. I want to, I want to know what you know and uh, how do you got to where you are? What's your grit? What's your story? What, what, what drove us to where we are? And that's why one one graphic I'm probably most proud of in in our in our workshops is the the career mosaic, and that's where I kind of mentioned earlier I was an Uber driver I was I was an Airbnb host and I wasn't doing it for fun I was doing it because I was trying to make ends meet you know, I've donated plasma you know in order to make ends meet I've, I've, I've pawned personal possessions I've done it all and that's why I think I'm able to relate to anyone no matter where you're coming from because I've been there and I've lived it. And I want to be able to empower and equip people with the tools and resources, and even just the just the just the verbal tools, just the encouragement piece, just to help people keep going. If you have a dream, you have an aspiration, just keep going. I mean, I, this this I was I'm sitting in the very living room that I built Executive Image from three years ago, and this was at a time in Christmas 2016 where my parents weren't doing very well. My dad works in construction, and things were pretty slow. My mom's not able to work anymore, and I got all the cash. I went to that computer. And I can go to this computer right now. The original executive image presentation is on there in black and white. No graphics, no pictures, no nothing. And I can, I can, you know, just seeing that and just seeing where it's, it's come to and the people that have just believed in me along the way, I can tell you it's possible. But again, if without commitment, it will never start. Without consistency, it will never finish. And, and I say that lightly because I'm definitely still becoming not, not finished at all. I haven't even gotten started yet. And so I'm just excited to just see what other people are going to create and how we can collaborate helping all collectively get to the next level. That's awesome. Great journey. And I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Before I let you go, I do have one last question. So the show is called Dynamic Leaders. And obviously you are a dynamic leader. We've talked about a number of different qualities that make you such throughout the course of our conversation today. But I like to give my guests an opportunity to shout out someone in their life that has helped shape them in one way or another, stood out with their leadership capacities. Is there somebody that you want to give a shout out to today? Absolutely. I mentioned, I mentioned Ty, my co-author, so I'll, I'll share a little love. I'll pass it around a little bit. And I'll mention Dr. Jamil Northcutt, who is currently the vice president of player engagement in Major League Soccer. And the reason he's a dynamic leader is because he embodies the personal, professional, spiritual, emotional, and relational part of wellness. Anytime I have a question, whether it's in my professional life, whether it's about things that are happening in, in my family or anything that anything that's spiritually based, he always has something that's sound and I'm 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 a Christian babe. And so he has something that's always grounded in that to get me a 
and out of a slump or out of a, out of a, out of a, out of a place where I probably don't need to be or, or where I'm occupying. And I think it's important to have that. I mean, I, have, I use him as a therapist. I have another one that I use as well. So I think people obviously you know, need to make sure they have people in their life that can speak to them from a, from a mental health standpoint. Because and sometimes I'll just call them and check in. It may not be anything wrong, but hey, want to check in, make sure I'm good, you know, and just be able to share, be able to vent. And that without those people, those types of people, specifically Dr. Jamil Northcutt, I kid you not, I would not be sitting here speaking with you. He's had a hand in every career stop that I've, I've made thus far by simply sending a phone, sending a text message, making a phone call, sending an email. And I just, I just owe my career and largely who I am, who I am, you know, let it become as a future father, a future husband, and as a, as a, as a growing professional to what I've learned and what he's exemplified, not only what he's told me, but what he's lived by and abided by in his life. So Dr. Mill from Northcutt, this one's for you. <laughs> that is an awesome way to end this conversation. A great shout out. Will, I could talk to you forever. This has been super insightful for me, and I'm sure it has been for the people that are listening as well. I can't thank you enough, especially I know you're home for the holidays and spending time with family. So I'll let you get back to that. But I certainly do appreciate you taking some time out of your day today to hop on the show with us. Well, Colin, it was a pleasure to be here. And again, without you creating this platform, I wouldn't have anything to stand on. So thank you so much for stepping out and doing this. And I want you to keep going, keep pressing. If anything I can do to help and support you, uh, you're definitely on Thank you again to Will for hopping on the podcast. The first podcast of 2020 is in the books. That was an amazing conversation and way to lead off the new year. Please feel free to check out all of Will's work and follow him on social media. You can find the links to all of that in the show notes. Shout out to my sponsor, Sweat With Stods. Go to www.sweatwithstods.com today and see what she can do for you here in the new year as she is here for your fitness, nutrition, and healthy habit needs. And thank you as always to my listeners. Thank you for starting your new year with us here on the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. I know a lot of us were probably getting back to work today, and I hope that this podcast helped get you through that first day back. And with that, we are back next week with another guest. Please stay tuned for that. And until next time, take it easy. Take it easy.